to the Power Hour on Verb Moto. All right, let's get this thing started. Welcome to a Verb Pod Network episode. This is the Power Hour. I'm your host, Brad Gebhardt. This is another edition of the Power Hour, and I'm so excited because it's going to be an amazing show. We're going to talk arena cross. We're going to talk about Supercross. We're going to get to some listener questions. And thank you guys so much for checking out the Verb Thought Line and uh, making us think twice about which which questions to answer. Because actually, we got more than ever, which means six questions were sent in. Appreciate all five of you. Thanks for one person who actually doubled up. That was fantastic. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. And uh, this is a part of the podcast where I'm going to let you know about the verb edit contest go to verb.com or verbmoto.com forward slash verb edit contest we've got absolute fuck ton of yamaha video footage you can feast your eyes on it you can mix and match you can move it around then you're going to submit that through everything on the website all the details are there make sure that you're in there i think even zach you're you're going to go on there and put together like an instagram reel of some sort for us so we can see just how bad you would be at sticking some stuff together. You just pick stitch some stuff together and, and that's it. That's that, right? That absolutely. Yeah. No, uh, we don't know who's going to win, but I can tell you who's going to lose. And that would be yours truly, but we're still going to have a good time with it. Like you said, uh, that footage is pretty cool. If you've never gotten a chance to look at what a day's worth of shooting actually looks like, it's pretty yeah. cool to be able to take this giant pool of film and then create a story from it. And so I've gotten to check out some of the, uh, some of the little teasers that several different producers have been putting out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, it's, it is really cool not only to see what these guys are able to do and gals, of course, but the way they can take the exact same footage and make completely different storylines, different music, different, uh, filters. I mean, I don't even know all the technical terms for it, guys here. Bear with me, but uh, it's just really cool to see the different routes that you can take with the same footage and still have a badass edit no matter what. Yeah. They're taking all the ingredients. And yeah, it's not just going to come out as one final pastry. You can basically mix match. Uh, I would not be surprised if our uh, head editor, Will Posey, en- enters himself as like Bill Rosie or something like that, just so that he can he can enter to win so- some awesome prizes from all of our friends over at Yamaha. So once again, that is verbmoto.com forward slash verb edit contest. Get on it, get creative, and I would love to hear from you guys. Zach, welcome to the show. I didn't give a proper introduction. I'm excited about GNCC season starting. I'm excited about World Mini because registration is so open. Starting to fill up. Yeah, like you said, the uh, the clock is ticking on World Mini, and then uh, we're really getting down to crunch time for the 2024 GNCC kickoff this coming weekend out in Union, South Carolina. So Big Buck is going to be, as always, just a, a spectacle, if you will. Last year we got the infamous Stu Baylor bike flip. After the finish, so uh, we'll see whether or not he's going to be doing the same thing on that new green machine uh, or whether or not it's going to be a different rider taking the checkered flag. We're going to be doing a little meet and greet fan fest out in uh, Greenville where good old Mr. Stallo's from and uh, going to be chatting it up with the top riders on Thursday, media day on Friday, and then a little four-wheel action racing Saturday, and then the bike's going to hit the course on Sunday. But, uh, yeah, like you said, really excited for that season last year, a, a truly historic season for GNCC. The biggest GNCC, I believe, ever in the history of the sport was the final round last year in Ironman. So uh, we just got to keep it going bigger and better. And talking about bigger and better, I'm talking about the trophies out at World Mini, baby. Like you said, World Mini coming up. Uh, finally got the green light, the green flag. I have found a way out there. Now, I, as far as lodging goes, I think, I think I've reserved turn two. 
Um, it's going to be one of those deals where I dig small hole and then use the soil to keep me warm at night. But uh, we have found a way out there to Mesquite. Going to be calling all the action at World Mini. And uh, just like you said, sign up is open. So better get those classes packed because we're going to be calling the action just like it'd be uh, Loretta Lenz or any one of those top amateur nationals because the competition is going to be sweet. Now, if you go over to uh, Racer TV more than a couple of times a year, you'll hear your sing-song voice breaking it all down and uh, giving the play-by-play. Looking forward to that. Uh, and also, the, like, the Power Hour is going to absorb some of that uh, feedback because the GNCC public are going to get some of your analysis on a week-to-week basis. We'll have a little spot on the podcast is reserved specifically for that. But, yeah, as far as accommodations go, essentially you have two options. There is a picnic table in the announcing tower at Mesquite, where uh, I can't imagine that would be the most comfortable place to be, but it is flat and it's dry. Uh, and I've heard, I've heard oak is soft. Oak is yeah, soft. Yeah, no, absolutely. So. Yeah, no, it, it is. Uh, I believe there's a uh, a little linseed oil finish on there as well, so you'd be nice and cozy, warm. Or uh, if you happen to end up coming back to our Airbnb, where um, it is actually something to behold. From the ver- the verb. This is when you get to see like how the sausage is made for verb, because you you see that a guy like Wes Williams wakes up at like the crack of 5.30 in the morning, uh, puts about a million miles on his shoes throughout the day. He, I've never seen a man run so fast with a camera. Uh, him, Jason Crane, the whole bit, going around, doing their thing all day long. Then they get home. They drink anywhere from 6 to 10, Coors Lights, and then they edit video until it's time to literally hit the hay. Um, so while we're doing that, you'll probably be uh, resting the vocal cords and uh, and watching Terra Firma 4 um on the uh, on the couch because I'll, I'll have all of those uh vhs tapes <laughs> dusted and done uh, i'm looking forward to it so you just fall asleep on the couch we'll wake you up first thing in the morning and maybe go to dutch bros for breakfast now it is time for the ama arena cross race tech suspension and engines block pass sort of just go past this so we this last weekend we had a double header event Reno Cross, a Reno Cross was like a huge event throughout the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, the great Jim Holly making that sort of a stalwart as far as that community goes. So, but we were back two rounds in Reno. Tell me what you saw. Well, it's hard not to kick off the, the Arena Cross talks with the, the man on the move right now, which is Ryan Brees. Absolutely fantastic performance, sweeping the weekend and essentially doing exactly what we said he needed to do. He needs to come out, continue to make a statement and continue to try to drive a wedge between himself and the rest of the field. Uh, starting to look like a two-rider battle as far as for this championship. Uh, Brees, nine points down now. Uh, and especially for a doubleheader weekend, like you said, it was c- kind of cool to see the way less than 24 hours apart, two different races, the way that momentum carried from night one into night two. It seemed like Brees was walking uh, with a little more swagger there on night number two. And man, he took that out onto the track as well and really performed well on that Yamaha machine. You certainly did. And when it comes to Ryan Brees, I see a weakness that's been eliminated. His kryptonite at the beginning of the season seemed to be those second motos being able to come back from a second row start. That is no longer the case. Now, eight races in a row, eight motos in a row, he's been able to get to the front, regardless if he starts from the back or starts from the front. He's getting it done every single weekend. 
Absolutely. And that's such a good point to, to bring up because this is about sharpening your weaknesses, right? This is about improving throughout the year. KP, he's had the number one for years now for a reason. He's been able to refine his craft and essentially perfect the art of arena cross racing. Uh, for those of you that maybe aren't aware, they're in main two. They, they invert the field on the start. So your winners are on the back row. And that's not something that you see at your average supercross or outdoor national. And KP is kind of had uh, he's created his own trick of the trade, right? He kind of almost checks up just a little bit. He likes to hug those insides really tight. And a lot of times we saw that working out for him. We didn't see that working for Ryan Brees early in the season, but man, I don't know what it is. Personally for me, I see a lot of aggression. I don't know whether the guy is coming in elbows out ready for banging, but he basically goes into turn number one, knowing that he's going to come out at least inside that top five, and you see him make moves super quick. The aggression and the intensity is right from the gate drop, and it's usually only about a lap or two before you see Brees at the front of the field. This isn't the first time that we've seen aggression from Ryan Brees. This guy comes from Supercross, and he made a name for himself there, making room for himself throughout those LCQs and putting it into the main event, uh, where then he was, again, strong throughout those races. He's bringing that mentality over to arena cross and this is an athlete that kyle peters was not forecasting throughout the entire season in fact at the very first round ryan Brees was even talking about that being the only round that he was going to be in just tuning himself up for supercross plans changed he stuck around and he's been a thorn in the side for kyle or kyle peters the entire time so far Absolutely. And got to give, got to give props to Kyle Peters where it's due, right? The, the guy put himself in a great situation early here in 20, 2023, 2024, as far as this season goes. Once again, he finds himself with the red background and he's in the points lead. What, no matter what we say about the momentum, about the race wins, Kyle Peter is in control of this championship at the moment. And all he's got to do right now is maintain his composure, keep himself together. Uh, try to avoid any mishaps. We saw, like we said before, the rest of the field now starting to starting to bite into the number one, starting to treat him like one of the guys. Um, Austin Politelli looking awful comfortable up there on the podium, but looking awful sick of being in that third place spot. I think you're going to start to see some more intensity uh, coming from him as well. The question is, is Kyle Peters going to be able to stay out of all the drama, out of all the mishaps, and put himself in the right spot to win the championship? Does that necessarily mean winning the main events? I don't know. Kyle Peters looks like his main goal is getting this championship wrapped up. And so maybe we don't see quite as much fight out of the number one and more big picture thinking. I tell you what, Kyle Peters uh, may have uh, been hemorrhaging some points over the last few rounds, but this championship is nowhere near done. He has the ability to switch on the speed that he has, assert his dominance and get back to where he was at the beginning of the season and where he's been for the last four years. Um, if you're Kyle Peters, what do you need to do over the next four rounds to establish yourself and, and really put a stamp on this thing? Well, I think the the easy response has got to be to respond, right? To come back out and to show Ryan Breeze, hey, you might be good, you might be great, but this is still my area of expertise. You're in my house, and you're going to have to take this championship from me. I'm not giving anything up. So if you're Kyle Peters, you need to reset, right? One of the big things that I feel like we've started to notice is the mentality. Clearly some frustration starting to set in for the number one. Uh, we've seen some of the camera shots. Uh, you can clearly see he's a little emotional. Uh, I saw uh, Ryan Brees 
left to pop some champagne bottles by himself. Didn't see Kyle Peters, didn't see Politelli showing up for that. Uh, that's not because they were so excited and having a good time they forgot to come by. Let me put it like that. Those guys are not stoked. They want to be in that first place spot or they don't want to be there. And so it just shows this means a lot. There's a lot on the line. And uh, these guys are taking this as serious as you possibly can. So for Kyle Peters, hey, you're the champ. You're the reigning champ. You're like that for a reason. You've been able to do this year after year for a reason. Go back, find find whatever it is that's been making you tick all this time. I, I mean, you know, I know David Eller and that entire Phoenix Honda team, they're going to rally around him. They're going to keep his spirits high. Go back to maybe not go back to the drawing board, but take a couple steps back to your previous program and find out what was going right. Focus in on that. Hone in on what you've been doing correctly and come out swinging. I believe uh, Daytona is a good round for Kyle. I think he's had some good luck there in the past. So try to just focus on that. Keep the positivity as high as you can and come out swinging in Daytona. Let's not forget about Isaiah Clark, Kyle Bitterman, Austin Politelli, and Jared Lesher on that two-stroke. They're going to be a thorn in the side for both of those title favorites throughout the rest of the season. Whether or not they can get a race win is still in question, but they're going to make things difficult for both the number one and the 200. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, we talk about Lesher, Politelli. Uh, I mean, put it like this. He's got so many thorns in the side, he's, he thinks he fell into a bush. Let me put it like that, because everybody is starting to poke a little bit harder, right? The, the passes just don't seem to be coming like they once were. And that's not taking anything away from the number one or the 200. Uh, I think that's got to come from the rest of the field, getting their confidence. They've been working on their craft as well, and they want to prove towards the tail end of this season that they were in this fight as much as anyone else. So for the rest of the field, absolutely. It's just another round. Um, whether you're talking about the 200 or talking about the number one, we all go to the race to try to win. And so when you see somebody like Kyle Bitterman find himself in a good position up front early, don't expect him to lay over for anybody um, and so that makes things interesting for both the number one and the number 200 because it just makes it that much more crucial to not make mistakes, right? You've got to execute your starts perfectly. You've got to make your passes quickly and you've got to get to the front of the field because while this is a primarily two rider battle for the championship, there's a lot of bikes out on track that want that number one spot each and every main event. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. The number two of Kyle Bitterman. Uh, comes to play every single weekend, and I expect him to be at his best come Daytona. Uh, let's go straight into some la- sight laps here early in the podcast still, so we got to check out the track and do some sight laps. Ken Roxon gets a goddamn win. Kickstart Kenny, baby, kicking the rest of the field behind, man. I got no problem saying it. That was uh, that was Ken Roxon of old, if you will. It, it looked really good, wire. and I mean – that's got it. That's just a beautiful feeling, right? I can, I've done it on a local level, right? There's four guys, three of them crashed out, and, and I, I'm able to read, lead the thing start to finish, right? But for you to do that in a supercross, especially in a year like this with this much competition, great for Ken Rocks and great for that entire Suzuki team. Yeah, no, it was reminiscent to uh, of my very first ever win in an LCQ, actually. Uh, the uh, the 125B class back in 2006. Um, I shouldn't probably shouldn't have been in the LCQ. I ended up going down the heat race, and then like I was kind of amongst guys who I normally wasn't racing too often, but uh, grab grab the whole shot, wire to wire, and uh, and manage that. I I gotta think that uh, yeah, Kenny maybe took a little page out of my book there. Um, completely kidding. Um, my remedial racing uh like status is is has no bearing on this whatsoever. But regardless, I wanted to tell that story. It's my podcast, so I can do that. Um, but I was impressed with Ken. 
like, here's the thing that I was most impressed with. He was able to establish a lead and then be comfortable with being uncomfortable, just sort of like staying right where he needed to be. He didn't need to extend it. He, whenever he feel pressure, he would drop his lap time and uh, yeah, like leading every single lap and then going across the finish line, throwing her sideways. It was a great look from Ken. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for somebody like me personally, I am almost more impressed when a rider is able to kind of call and respond with the lead, right? They get themselves up to a comfortable lead, whatever that is. It, I feel like it differs between riders, but once they get to that comfortable level, like you said, we saw it shorten up a little bit and then Kenny came back and then he lost a little bit of time again. And then he responded once again, that is a, a true sign of comfort because we talk about these guys. If somebody like you and me, I'm a hundred percent effort. The second the gate drops, I don't know yeah. how to, how to control myself. It's probably why I've got so many injuries and why I'm talking on a podcast rather than racing, right. but and have arm pump right now, absolutely. I'm, I'm cramped up at the moment. Um, but when it comes to the professionals, the best of the best out there, they are able to kind of tailor fit their effort level, right? You hear those riders, oh, I settled into a pace. I did what I needed to do to get the job done. Where Ken Roxon was, was, I think, mature and very smart and elegant with his race win was just like you said. He didn't push too hard, but whenever he needed to, he was able to respond and say, hey, you might be closing up a little bit, but don't think I can't still pull this thing out. So a great ride for the 94, not only just getting the result, but – got to be a huge wave of confidence coming with that as well. Yeah. Complete side note. That is maybe one of the most underrated and thing, uh, one underrated thing and thing that I find incredible about professional motocross racers is that like, say like they're out during, like sometimes you watch it during practice if they're, or if they're doing time qualifying, um, they'll throw down like, say like a two minute flat. And then you can tell they sort of like take a little bit off their fastball, but then you check the lap time and it's like a 202. Like, and they can, they can do at 202 for like 20 goddamn minutes plus. They can do it for 35 minutes. Whereas like my, like if I, if I threw down a two minute lap time and then I spent some time cruising around, I'm legitimately logging like a 213. Like it's, it's notably different. Like I, I don't really have that sort of like, ability to just sort of like modulate my speed to just sort of take a little bit off those guys have um like or even when they say like oh i had arm pump for five laps like five laps arm pump for five corners and like i'm i'm moving backwards it, like you might as well find reverse on that kawasaki because it like yeah like there's have like one of the back, backup uh beacons on there because beep 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 i'm going to the back of the, uh, the pack real quick but that's really impressive to me anyway honestly this weekend not great racing as far as the 450 class goes, um, I can't think of a time when there was like really, really tight racing as far as like guys like being able to make passes. Uh, honestly, maybe the most impressive on the day, and we'll get to him a little bit later, was uh, Jet Lawrence being able to go from ninth to, to third on the day. Uh, aside from that, there wasn't a lot of passing going on. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, especially coming from some of these previous races where we've seen literal freight trains of riders six, seven deep all switching multiple positions at a time. Um, so, yeah, I would agree with that. I wouldn't say quite as much uh, immediate racing action. Uh, to your point, absolutely, Jet doing a great job of picking his way through the pack and not overriding, which I thought is uh, was a big one for the number 18 as well. Seemed comfortable working his way through the pack. Um, and, and the other thing was I felt like it was a great track. Like, I really enjoyed the track. I enjoyed the long rhythm lanes. But for some reason, it just didn't quite translate into – close racing even though you did have multiple different lines and options going through those lanes 
Yeah, I think that super long lane that had the sort of like the kink in it, because that one side was like, even if it's four or five feet shorter, like four or five feet over the course of that, like it makes it super one line. Um, and, uh, like, I don't have him in my show notes here, but, uh, RIP Nate Thrasher just getting absolutely ejecto cedo cause that was, uh, that was ugly. Man, that was ugly for a multitude of reasons. I, I went back and went on social media and watched and was actually able to zoom in. And I mean, everything from the way his sternum kind of crushed around the handlebars to he smacked his head pretty hard too, which I didn't hear a lot of people talking about. So, um, from what I understand, I do think he's supposed to be okay. Um, some pretty deep bone bruising from what I understand as well. But, uh, man, I, I mean, it, it sounds cliche and overstated to say the least, but to say that we are some tough people out there in the moto community, uh, because don't get me wrong, it is extremely impressive to watch somebody like Nate Thrasher go down like that and walk away and is able to say, you know, all relatively unscathed to make a recovery. But I've also seen crashes just like that at your local racetrack. And I think that's something that goes unnoticed in yeah. a lot of other sports is it's like, man, you know, very rarely are you going to have two people the caliber of two Super Bowl athletes colliding with each other at your local football game. But there's sometimes he might be a local 450 D rider, but he can get up to similar speeds that some pros do. And uh, the the chaos that ensues with it can also be very reminiscent of some pro crashes. But yeah, we're some tough people here in this sport. That is that is without a doubt. And Thrasher uh thrashes himself if you will i hate to make the joke but you know it's it's just low-hanging fruit um but i don't think that's the end of it the thing that sucks for us is just like we were talking about man he was really starting to look like a big picture contender right uh, i mean a full championship scope as far as uh the potential to be there at the end and just uh tough to see the the season goals and hopes kind of fade away with that crash Right. And he'll likely be out um he uh, there's no guarantee that we even see him back when the series comes on back in six weeks in, uh, in Seattle. Uh, although we hope that he's a hundred percent. Um, yeah, at this point in the, the series, he's that we're five rounds into that series out of a total of eight. There's only, uh, there's only three rounds left. I can see a situation where he ends up just focusing on outdoors. And unfortunately that's a number of times now we've seen that with Nate Thrasher, uh, that he's able to have to retire from a series with just not a lot of time left. Um, more efforts put towards uh, the outdoor series is probably uh, what he needs at this point. Last thing I'll get to here on the slight laps is that I love LCQs. They are my favorite um, for just abs- the absolute tomfoolery of some of these guys out there. Like they're just they're It's moto whack-a-mole. They like, they go out uh, this is the second weekend in a row where uh, Cade Clayson is on the short end of the stick, getting taken out by someone who isn't even doesn't even end up making the main event. It was Cheyenne Harmon uh, from a couple of weeks ago, and then uh, I can't remember who took. Oh, it was Justin Starling gets the better of him um, this last weekend. Uh, yeah, both times that Kawasaki ends up on the ground, uh, look on the outside looking in as far as the main events. Um, yeah, like it's it's much to the the like the dismay of uh placing but seriously like it it's not good yeah it's uh the reason Fun we love them yeah the reason we love lcqs is the reason we hate them right is they're just so unpredictable i mean if you're a if you're a fantasy player your hopes are often your dreams come true or they are shattered in front of you during an lcq um and, and like you said it is so crazy to be able to see these finely tuned athletes that are able to do inexplainable and just amazing things on a motorcycle for some reason when it is the final chance 
things just go haywire. I mean, yeah. it is it is crazy to see the riding, and you and I get it. I mean, you take any of these LCQ athletes and you put them at your local track, they are lapping you guys six times in a five-lap race. Like, they are – each one of them are absolutely incredible. But, man, you put it all on the line right there. It's the last effort, and feet start coming off the pegs. I, I mean, it, it is just – it's absolute chaos. And, yeah, for somebody like Kay Clayson, uh, just – just a bummer. I, I mean, Cade, you know, he's, he puts in such a good effort and, and he tries to be there in the end. And for whatever reasons, he, he just has found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, but I tell you what, I would not want to be in front of Clayson with a lap or two to go at the next race. Let me put it like that. Because if I'm in the, the corner of Kay Clayson, I am saying you can either be the hammer or you can be the nail. And you have been the nail the last two rounds. Let's start hammering out there. So if I'm Kay Clayson, uh, I'm, I'm pointing, I'm aiming at the front end and I'm using you as a berm because I'm making the main event at this next race come hell or high water. Yeah, or he'd just do himself the, the a huge favor by making it in through the heat race and not having to be a part of those LCQs. Maybe that is the real solution. Let's move along to the verb thought line, and you can submit your questions, uh, all six of which that came across. We're going to answer four of them. Uh, we, we thank Chantel Freedy for uh, asking a couple of questions on this particular weekend. Um, so you can either go, you can submit them via at VerbMoto on Twitter. Use hashtag VerbLine so that I can pick them out a little bit easier uh, because we do have quite a few uh, notifications on that account on a regular basis, or if you want to get straight to uh, straight to the horse's mouth, you can email me, brad at verbmoto.com. And let's start things off with Derek Gustafson's from Louisville, Kentucky. I did not know that uh, they had the internet in Kentucky. That's interesting. Oh, come on now, man. You got to throw some love out there to Kentucky. No, and Derek's question, uh, while it may not be a conventional question, it's one of my favorites that we've gotten so far. Yeah. Uh, so, so here, I, I'll do the honors. So Derek says, not a question as much as seeking some advice. All right. I've got a buddy of mine who is pretty new to riding and has some of the worst gear wearing habits imaginable. I'm talking untucked jersey, mismatched gear, goggle straps all over the place. You name it. Do I say something or just let him make an ass of himself every weekend? Derek, great question. Great question, first of all. This is my favorite. This is why I put it first. This is important. You, I need, I need to get, go first on this. You can say your piece when I'm done, but you, you need to help a brother out. If you've been around for a while, uh, Derek's buddy has, uh, I don't know, he's only been racing for me. He's been riding for a couple of years. I, I doubt you're racing with this sort of style, but I've seen it before as well. There used to be a guy when we'd race down in North, uh, North Dakota that would race in blue jeans. He would do the blue jeans. He would, and like, yeah. And, and then the work boots, the whole nine yards. Um, but like, as far as my approach, I'm I'm trying to roll through the line looking as factory as possible. We're doing the the jersey tuck, the the goggles. Look pro strap. go slow, right? Look yeah, pro look pro go, go slow. slow, bro. Like that, it's it's a lifestyle. Like be about it. Um, and yeah, like help this man out because uh, ignorance is bliss, and sometimes leading by example is not enough. Yeah, may, maybe Derek's going to the line and he's got his his Oakley goggles, like just perfect. And he's, he's, he's head to toe and some color matching things. Uh, you, you can't be throwing on some, like some MSR pants with like a, uh, O'Neill Jersey and calling that good. Um, if that's all you got, Hey man, run it. 
But if we're get, if we're riding on a regular basis, we're, uh, we're we're thinking about possibly mixing up some race fuel every once in a while. Uh, then it's time to invest and, and get some. Like if you if it's me, I'm going. If I'm weekend warrioring it, I'm going black boots because like you're not going to invest the time of time that Classic. I do to make sure that the white boots are on point. If you graduate to that, by all means, break out the slim, the simple green and make sure that those things are, those puppies are looking perfect every weekend. I go black boots. I'm of the I'm of the mind that if if you're gonna ride in fox boots, you're wearing fox gear. Way of, that's 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 my thought anyway. Fox gear, fox boots. Like I, I'm I'm I will accept arguments otherwise, but for the most part, fox boots, fox gear. Alpine Star, Alpine Star is a boot company first. You can mismatch with that with pretty much everything. Uh, Ricky Carmichael, uh, Rick, James Stewart, even ah, James ever wore Alpine Star boots. Uh, Jeremy McGrath, uh, he ran Alpine Star forever with different gear. Uh, and then do whatever that you want with the helmet, unless it's the Fox lid. Fox lid, Fox gear. In my opinion. Yeah, I think you're on the right track there. But by and large, you need to lead by example, Derek, and and you need to help out your friend. What say you, uh, gear guru? Well, uh, okay, and and so I think you you bring up a good point at the end there, right? It's just like when you're on an airplane and the bag drops down, right? you got to put your bag on, before you help your child, right? So first off, what is Derek looking like? Because if Derek's buddy thinks this kind of behavior is okay, something tells me Derek's buddies aren't looking quite as factory as they should either. So that's that's the first question that pops into my head. Now, I think you bring up a good point as far as running what you brung, right? If these guys, just some good old boys from out in Louisville, they're spinning some tires, man, they're having some good time riding trails, whatever they may be doing out there, and – Man, they they picked up some secondhand gear. They got a, a fox jersey. They got some Thor pants. Um, you know, may, maybe they're they're wearing Carhartts for all we know out there, right? But if that's all you got and it's keeping you out on a motorcycle and you're having a good time, I man, I'm all about it. You know, and, and I also will say if you got just a little bit of coin to spend on something, man, get you a good helmet, get you some knee yes. braces, safety first, right? And, and I mean, as as dumb as it sounds, we were just talking about what happened with Thrasher and stuff like that. This sport can can catch up to you in a hurry, and, and I promise if if you don't put the money into the right things, then it'll get the best of you. And so people always ask, man, should I buy this cheap helmet that I found on Facebook Marketplace, or should I buy a six D or or you just got that Max helmet from Canadian Tire? Yeah, yeah, I don't know, man. How uh, how much is your brain worth? How much yeah. do you value your head? And that usually kind of kind of says where I'm at about it. So if you're going to spend some coins, spend it on the important things first, right? Because we we want you not only riding, but we want you riding years into the future. But absolutely, as far as overall package and presentation goes, first of all, you got to get a matching set, right? And and I mean, I, I like you said, we we both got some some brand loyalty here. I'm a huge Moose Racing guy, especially if you're just some good old boy spinning it through the woods. Why not use what the best riders in GNCC are using? So get you some of that brand Amen. new Agroid gear. Um, and, and quite honestly, while I can't say that uh, the the inner savvy shopper in me wants you to go old school and find some used gear, I guarantee you you could find some 2003 M1 gear from Moose Racing, and it's probably just as good a condition as it was the day it came out. So uh, that stuff is absolutely bulletproof. Longevity-wise, plenty of bang for your buck. But Facebook seller goes by the name of John Dowd. Yes, yes. Could I say uh, the junkyard dog himself? And so, but there's there's simple things that can can really turn a rider's presentation around. First of all, let's pretend this is your helmet visor, right? 
pop that bad boy up, right? Get yep. it out of your face. Let's see what the it's world. Not a sun visor. No this wonder you're only riding reflector. one line. You can't see the track, brother. You got to yeah. pop that visor up. Second of all, the goggle straps. All right, it might feel good. Maybe it's a little warm around your neck. Pick them up, guys. Pick yeah. them up. Get those things on. There's right. no I'm- excuse. You could be running like uh, Smith Warps from 2001. Great goggle. Still place Gray goggles. that right down. Right, it could should go all, across your eyes. Straight on backwards. Exactly. It should look just like it did on Travis Pastrana back when they were out. And, and that is period space space. So absolutely very simple things, folks, can turn you around. Another one. I'm a tucked in Jersey guy and I'm, I'm, you know, six, two to six, four, depending on the doctor, right? I'm El Hombre status, if you will. I struggle keeping it tucked in, but bet your ass every race I'm starting. That thing is as tucked down as it can get. I got them inside the Ethicas, baby. I don't want those things going anywhere. But, Do you remember uh, back in the day, the old Thor jerseys used to have the like the sticky sort of like material on oh, the yeah. back of the the, the oh, bottom yeah, the of old the back Thor of the jersey? Yeah, yes, yeah. the core yep. the Thor core jerseys had like it was like this like kind of grippy material that essentially would like stop your jersey from getting untucked. I, I don't think there was any other real brands that did that. I was a, and then when it I was came a Thor untucked? guy for like eh, three years from like. 06 to the end of maybe 09 or so like that yeah when it come untucked you would slide back on your seat and it would catch on the seat foam and it would just choke you that was yeah, yeah, yeah. my experience yeah letting you know yeah. hey yeah you're untucked hey, your right jersey's now. untucked yeah <laughs> hey, but idiot. uh so. but absolutely so derek man let's start with the simple things all right let's straighten out the goggle straps let's pick the visor up for god's sakes yeah. tuck the jersey in i mean quite honestly i don't think you know whether it's a, a dixon flannel or whether it's a jersey if you run jeans baby tuck it in Tuck it in, get it out there. You don't want that thing getting caught in the chain. So, if and then you're for- wearing jeans that are big enough to go over top of motocross boots. I need to talk to you about your bell bottoms because, like, hey, whatever keeps him riding, baby. That's where I'm at. All right. Fair and enough, then, so last but certainly not least, we need a group photo. All right. I need to see Derek. I need to see his boys. I need to see the dogs. I need to see where they're at in Kentucky and really get a full scope of this situation. This is going to be our, uh, uh, our, our project here all right we're going to try to find out and get get derek looking full factory for style uh, sherpas can, yep for uh, the backyard showdown that i'm sure is going down this uh this doula out in out in louisville louisville yeah hell yeah uh all right so uh, i did not know we had female guests and I, it surprises me with more that we had female listeners than we even had one from stockholm sweden like three weeks ago um but this one's near and dear to home Chantel. Out of Grand Forks, North Dakota. That's like four, three hours away. Uh, I absolutely, I might even, I think that's like an hour and a half. I'm out. Um, she says, how do you guys get your moto fix or, or throttle, th- or throttle therapy, as Brad calls it, uh, in the dead of winter? Uh, Insta bangers are only going so far. Uh, appreciate the question there, Chantel. Um, honestly, like, like I'll handle this right off the hop because I think I'm dealing with a very similar winter situation yeah you guys have an actual winter yeah, yeah. I, I see maybe the 30s and that's that's enough for me yeah and like you you're you're a fair weather rider which i sort of understand like there's a there's like sort of like a a, a certain temperature you're just not considering riding your dirt bike and uh i i can appreciate that like i don't want to go out there when it's in the the low 40s even in the 30s no, no kind of no thank you um but uh that's just yeah just me being soft um i'm i'm big on going onto youtube and watching the old ones there is what i was gonna say metric fuck ton of old races um like personally it's not the most exciting series in the world but i love going back to watch 
the O one and the O two uh, a Supercross series, getting to listen to factory two fifty two strokes racing on some of the slickest, hardest pack track you've ever seen in your entire life, as well as that sort of that's Ricky Carmichael at the tender age of like twenty one, twenty two, just like coming into his own and just dominating everywhere. Um, like so sorry to spoil it for you, but the like the tail end of the O one series isn't exactly the most scintillating because it's like riveting. Yeah, it's RC just like like forty five seconds out front every race. But uh if you're a big fan of Kawasaki's and the color orange, you're just all over it. Um, but uh yeah, that's what I would do, Chantel. I would uh find some it's pretty easy to look them up. Uh find find some races on YouTube and just uh go ham on it. Get to get your throttle therapy from a in from a virtual way. Or uh, just be like uh, Zach over here and play some motocross video games. I know you're big into that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I think I'm I might be one of the only riders I know that's probably better on a real motorcycle than they are on a video game motorcycle because Amen. I I suck so bad on those. Um, but we're gonna work on it, right? I, I'm gonna have to find uh, what was it an Xbox 360 Reflex was on. I'm gonna have to I see if so. I, yeah, yeah, see one of I can find one of those from my local Goodwill and uh, start putting in the motos. But I completely agree. I have recently um, I get to watch this at the at the gym occasionally whenever I get to go or like you said, if I'm just it's crappy outside, I need to watch something. I'm I was a huge Villapoto guy, right? Obviously, Carmichael uh, for for my era, he was the guy growing up when I was a kid. But as far as once I got to about the age of of ten and kind of growing up, it was like man, I mean. This, this dude is, guy. yeah, this dude is the shit. I mean, and, and it He's was also cool. head to toe parts. On well, and it, that didn't <laughs> hurt. That didn't hurt either. Yeah. Uh, I was just about to say Rob Bytus uh, actually took me into the pro circuit rig at oh. in 07. Threw me upstairs with Townley and Poto before they, uh, they were getting ready for practice. And so that's always been a, a pretty cool memory for me. Now it was, it was really cool and, and they were super cool to me. Um, but man. I feel like some of his rides go unappreciated. And I'm talking 250 and 450. Man, that 07 season with him and Townley just, I mean, dogfighting it. Not only is that some great racing, but it's got really good footage as well. You can find a lot of the different races indoors and out uh, on YouTube on a couple different sites. Um, and so that I, I completely agree. I go back. I watch the classics. Um I don't think it's any secret that 03 is probably my favorite season to go back and enjoy just because – I've seen the clips so much between the great outdoors two and, and all of the different films based around that season. But, uh, absolutely go back, watch the greats, uh, man, go watch some, watch some old X games, watch some old gravity super games. Remember the gravity? Oh, games? Yes. Oh yes, absolutely. No, it's, uh, and that's what I mean. Nowadays, we're so fortunate to be able to go back and watch all of these races and man, it's, it's pretty impressive. You think about how much technology has improved over the last 20 years, but I mean, even the Oh one, you know, 2000 races, man, they're, you can watch them and you can see what's going on. You know, it's clearly not 1080p, but I mean, you no, know, it's you, like 14p. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It might be 12, but, uh, no, if nothing else, you can still see what's going on and, uh, you can certainly appreciate just how freaking fast those guys were going something about it i mean oh five unadilla sticks out in my head right ricky and james are going at it and i mean before they hit the ground you were just like you can't ride a bike faster than that it's just yeah. for some reason the track seemed gnarlier the, the bike seemed like they were going faster and the riders seemed like they were riding harder back then but uh, maybe that's how all the all the generations feel yeah no the, the one thing that sticks out to me about that particular race is just watching uh james actually get eaten up like that was one of the old, the first times in his entire career where you just saw someone 
like Ricky was straight up faster, and he just like he had a terrible start. If, if anything, I think he might have gone even gone down during the start, and he just eats up James on the two stroke, and then obviously they they get together. Uh, and, uh, I think Ricky ends up second in that race, but then still ends up first overall in the day. Um, I, I, if, if I could have one wish, I wish the 05 season would have gone better for James. Like, like whether it's like just he does better on the two stroke or the four strokes, like, like, because that was still the, the 450 hadn't even been released yet. Like it got released like late, late that season, but it wasn't homologated for him to actually ride it. Um, had Kawasaki had a 450 for him in 05, uh, of course, we would get robbed of watching James Stewart on a KX250, but I think he would have had a little bit more under the hood to be able to uh, do his thing. Because, yeah, um, I think he had a bit of a gun to a knife fight at those rounds. E- even Chad was on a, on a 450 for that particular outdoor season. Um, pretty wild to watch. Continuing on with uh, the verb line here, our verb thought line. Um Peter Graves out of Boise, Idaho. He must be probably, that's probably Wes's neighbor at this point. Uh, whatever happened to paint, to custom painted helmets? Uh, you don't even see privateers wearing them. Um, where did they go? Why don't we see them anymore? Great question. Um, I, I don't know if you consider it custom paint jobs because usually the, the, the TLD guys all have the same helmet going on. Like there's not, there aren't really anybody who just like they they stick with one helmet paint job and they stick with it all year like you used to back in the days and like literally I I've talked to guys like Jeff Ward who says like he wore like one race helmet for an entire season. Like that these guys they might come come to a race weekend with two lids and like like they might not wear more than maybe like some of the privateers might wear the same helmet multiple rounds probably like four or five rounds. But like I'd say, the top guys aren't wearing more than a round, maybe two rounds of tops. And I just think that the investment that it takes to get that many helmets painted, um, it's just gotten to the point where like it would the painting costs would be astronomical. I think that's the biggest reason. Well, see, I was going to say I think the biggest reason now is uh, somebody figured out that that's prime advertising real estate. I mean, you look at you look at the head of you know majority at the top of the field right now. They've either got a, a nice red bull sun red blue you know um paint up or they've got a big monster claw on the side of their head and i mean you know those two a lot of real estate yeah absolutely or they've got a big rock star star on it you know i mean shoot it goes as as far as you want to go whether whatever the title sponsor is of the team um and and i mean even when you think back to like villapoto though he had like ap designs they drew they designed some badass helmets for him that still incorporated the monster remember those um, helmets Oh God, they look so good. And, and I mean, I remember, uh, Marvin Muscan has had some badass Red Bull helmets too, that have yeah. had intricate designs and, and, and things going on within the, the Red Bull logo itself on the helmet. So there's definitely some still, still some customization going on. I don't feel like it quite gets the, uh, the photo publicity that maybe it used to, I know from time to time, like whether it's military appreciation or uh throwback night or something like that themed events or, and races. Oftentimes you'll see some guys with different lids. Uh Cooper Webb has had some, it kind of seems like that, that back section of the helmet is still left open for a little bit of personalization, whether it's the first name, whether it's, you know, some kind of design on it, but all in all, you take a look at most of these riders and, and I would even say, 
maybe more crucial for the privateers is it's like, hey, this is all up for sale right here, right? This is yeah. this is all. I mean, if I can get somebody to give me a little bit of money to help me get to the next race, and they want their head on the side of my helmet, if they're stroking the right check, best believe you know whoever Bobby's going to be on the side of my helmet trying to help me get the job done. So I think it's. Uh, I don't know. I don't know whether you want to call it the the beauty of the sport, whether it's uh, capitalism at its finest or what. But uh, nonetheless, I, I think it's just it's prime real estate for the logos. We see the sides of the helmets primarily on the camera shots, yeah. and I mean it's just it's it's perfect real estate for for your business or design, and it is up for sale. You remember back in like the mid two thousands when RC would have like fifty logos on his visor, like it was just littered. He'd have like aeronautics. Uh, specialized, like literally, if you could find, and you used to actually, they, they used to sell them like helmet, helmet logo sticker sheets. Yep. Of like just, just basically like, lo- like stickers that were like essentially visor sized, uh, to like kind of mix and match whatever you wanted to do with that. That was kind of like, that was a really popular thing. I don't think that those, those sticker sheets even exist anymore, or maybe I'm not the target demographic. Maybe that's the other one. Yeah, it's uh, definitely funny to see. I mean, like my dad's got a, a sick custom painted helmet that that Troy actually did. Uh, and, and I mean, I'm sure probably running a race shop and a gear company and everything else that Troy's got his hands in. Maybe he's not doing that quite as much. Like I said, uh, AP Designs was always one of my favorite as well. Um, as yeah. far as just the way he did, I know he did Villapotos. He does a lot of different helmets for for different athletes. And uh, I think now the beauty is in the details. You may think, oh man, it's just another Red Bull helmet, or oh, it's just just another Monster helmet, or whatever. But when you actually get up close to it, and you're like, man, he's got all kinds of story, you know, a literal story going on on this helmet, uh, whether it's, like I said, military appreciation, whether it's something personal to the rider or the driver. Um, so they're still there, but it's, I think it's much less of the field. And I think the differences as far as the customizations aren't quite as huge as they used to be. Yeah. Now, speaking of which, uh, Eli Tomac, his brother, uh, he is in the Air Force. And I know that the the military appreciation weekend is always near and dear to his heart. And he's had uh, some ode twos with uh, um, the aircraft that his brother uh, flies on the back section of the uh, uh, of the helmet. So that's been pretty cool. Moving on to uh, Trevor Weisenberg, Weisenberg from Baltimore. Does does Wiesenberg sound like a Baltimore, Maryland name? I'd have to, I'd have to ask. I'm gonna have uh, to go Weisenberg. I'm, I'm you go Weisenberg to, on that. Yeah, read off that question for me. All right, let's see. So Trevor is asking. All right, with many rumors surrounding Jorge Prado going to Kawasaki in 2025, where does that leave Anderson and Cincerello? So. Brad, you're probably going to be uh, better to talk on this than I am, just because you're a lot more in the industry conversations, but. Man, I've heard some pretty drastic difference in rumors regarding the number nine and what the future is looking like for him. Obviously had some issues there with the, with the hand. He's had some nerve issues going on for a while. Um, a huge, huge AC fan here. So, so let me go ahead and preface with that. But I, I mean, there's only so much room. I don't know what Anderson's plans are looking like. He has come out swinging this year in 2024. So there's definitely still some life in the 21. Um, as far as what I have heard, he seems happy. But yeah, I, I mean, if, if it comes down to game time decision going into 2025 and you've got all three of those riders available, who are you going with and what happens to the one left over? I'll say this. Like, I haven't seen paperwork 
with the signature on it. But for all intents and purposes, from what I've heard, Jorge Prado to Monster Energy Kawasaki 2025 is about as signed, sealed, and delivered as it can be without having an actual release. Um, and that's, that's conversation going on. That's Sorry? strictly U.S. competition. Yeah, that would like be for U.S. Over. competition. Okay. Like him coming here full time. Um, it's to my knowledge that he's he's ridden the Kawasaki and obviously must have liked it enough to um, give some serious consideration to a uh, to to signing a contract when that comes out. Typically, those things get announced in October, so I wouldn't expect to see anything about him on a Kawasaki or something public until after more across this nations this coming year in Matterly Basin. Um, so, but I would, I would say if you've heard a rumor, there's a good chance that it's true on that, on that front on the current rider situation with Monster Energy Pro Circuit or Monster Energy Kawasaki, uh, Anderson and Seenstrel, obviously like those, those have been their guys for, this will be three years in a row now. In fact, not four years now. No, three at least three years. It was Tomac and uh uh Tomac and uh Steen Cirillo were teammates for one year. That kind of blows my mind. Um but I don't see a situation where Sean Cirillo is still on that team next year if Anderson doesn't leave, if that makes sense. Like I and I like there's nothing telling me that Anderson wants to leave or um, wouldn't be like this is a contract year for Adam Cien Cerullo. Um, would he go go elsewhere? I don't know. Um, obviously, if he's not resigned, he'd have to in order to continue continue his career. But um, what type of ride is he offered? Like, and honestly, I'm a I'm a big Adam Cien Cerullo fan just as a person. I've gotten a chance to speak with him on multiple occasions. Um, he's just a good person. He's a, he's a good communicator. He loves the sport. Um, there's obviously like, there's been talk about him getting into the booth, uh, since before he turned pro. Um, unfortunately for him, uh, the greatest racer to have ever spun a lap around a dirt bike track is currently doing that job and doing quite well at it, by the way. Um, and at the age of, I think 27, I don't know that, uh, Adam, is he 27 or 28? Yeah. I, th- I think he's a year older than me. So I think he's yeah. 27. Okay, so 27. I don't know that Adam Cincerullo is totally done. Um, but I don't, I don't know if he's going to be on a Kawasaki next year unless, uh, I know in, in the past, obviously we've seen, um, Mitch Payton roll out a Kawasaki 450 for the likes of, uh, Tyler Rattray. He did so for, uh, one particular season with Brock. Um, Brock Tickle, although both of those situations were guys who pointed out of a series out of the 250s, and he basically like say, "Look, you're you're contracted with me, so I'll I'll honor it." Uh, this would be an extenuating circumstance where uh, all of a sudden Mitch Payton would have to start carrying a 450. I don't necessarily see that as a real option, but I honestly don't. I also don't know where uh, Adam Stevens really would go, like. I you could you see him at like a firepower Honda or like like Honda is all uh sewn up unless someone moves out of there. Like I don't see Hunter and I don't see Jet leaving Honda. Um so yeah, that, that that leaves a lot of questions. And like the I think there's there's still a lot of meat in the bone when it comes to uh to Justin Barsha. I don't think he's wanting to hang up the boots anytime soon. So there really isn't a lot of places being opened. 
Um, but if you, you inject another racer in there, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe the, if, if, if Jorge Prado is, is moving away from gas gas, maybe at this point, gas gas can now carry two riders. Well, right? and, and the other thing is, is I think what ultimately drives that conversation is, is results, right? And, and yeah. at the moment, at least they're not there. And, and so it's like, we know yeah, that yeah. Adam Cincerello is a great rider. We know that he's got what it takes, but we also know that he's got some, some real and legitimate medical issues going on that are at the moment stopping him from doing his job. And so, yeah. you know, it's, it's not his fault. It's a terrible situation, like you said. And, and I mean, especially for somebody that is able to verbalize and, and, and actually give some great insight and talking points to the sport, you would hate to see that be the reason that the, the career comes to a close or, or even that he has to, you know, whether I don't want to say knock down a tier of team, but at the same time, it's, you know, I mean, it'd be crazy to see Adam Cincerello on something other than a green machine, but I can't help but think of, of Ryan Villapoto, who has openly said multiple times that, Hey, maybe if I would have considered changing teams and a, a full reset and a change of scenery, maybe that would have extended my, my racing career. So while right. at the moment it might seem not ideal, maybe it's exactly what, what, Adam Cincerello needs. Um, I mean, who knows if he does find himself on an Austrian brand, we've seen sometimes the, the, the changes, whether it's the materials used, whether it's the way the bike handles, sometimes that fits a rider a lot better than even that particular rider thinks. And so, um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I mean, it's, it's also very hard to ignore how personable he is and how likable and popular he is with the fans. And while that does get you in the discussion and it gets you far if there aren't, if there aren't results, period. I mean, at the moment, there's not even bad results. Like he's, he's not able to race. And so if he's not able to get some results on the board and at least show some kind of momentum moving forward, I agree. I think it's, it's not personal. It's business. Yeah, I know. Like at some point you have to look at this objectively and, and just look at the fact that he hasn't been able to put in serious amounts of, uh, good results over uh, a number of years now. Um, it's it's incredible to think that we're now into fourth year in the 450 class uh, without a Supercross win, which, like, spin the clocks back 10 years ago, and you're talking about this kid being, like, the the best thing to come out of amateurs since a guy like James Stewart. Um, I was at I was at Loretta Lynn's 2012. It's the first time I ever went. I was watching a friend of mine. Go. And I remember the Kawasaki autograph line for Adam Cincerello. Little kid rode up on a Segway. I'll never forget it. Ripped up on a Segway. His autograph line was longer than Ryan Villapoto's. And Villapoto was, you know, I'm talking full swing, absolutely killing it. Yeah, he still had two more years left. And I mean, you know, I'm pretty sure he still had braces. Like, and he's just got a line a mile long. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I... I always looked at him like the prodigy, man. It was just like, man, it's just meant to be for this kid. And so, um, yeah, it's definitely, it's been interesting to see the way his, his career has developed and, um, the trials and, and obstacles that he's had to overcome and has overcome and the way he's carried himself and faced them. Um, it, man, if you weren't a fan of him to begin with, I think his character and his class has, has earned the support of, of a, a huge majority of the fans. So, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see. Like we said, uh, he's a great rider. We know he's got that. He's a great person. We love to support him. We love to see him do well. But at, at the end of the day, man, if you're not able to line up, if something's holding you back, then the the sport moves on. 
Yeah, unfortunately, uh, yeah, the, the gate will drop whether you're there or not the following weekend. Uh, and we've seen that with literally every uh, hero that's come and gone. Uh, and not to say that he's gone by any means, but uh, yeah, he, he's, uh, he needs to get right, whether it's uh, the elbow fix, uh, something along those lines. Obviously, the hand is now an issue. Uh, hopefully, he's got another he's got a, a week off before with Dallas, and hopefully we see a brand new uh, Adam Steen Cirillo. We, we very well could, because he's got some speed uh and that, that that'll conclude the uh the the verb thought line appreciate everyone for asking questions like i said i'll i'll right off the hop again uh you can submit your questions to at verb moto on twitter use hashtag verb line in order for me to find them a little bit easier or you can get straight to the horse's mouth by emailing me brad at verbmoto.com. let's talk about the race a little bit uh oh, yeah. 250s. I, I forgot about that yeah the race happened uh there was <laughs> there was a um like if there wasn't a lot of great racing in the 450 class, hold the phone because the 250 class was popping uh, an off night for Jordan Smith uh, on a night where he really couldn't afford to have one. Uh, he he now slips back. He's no longer sharing the points lead. Not the worst night in the world for him, because I, I honestly think that it's now like those top three guys are really tough to sort of knock off that pedestal a little bit, uh, the way things were all stretched out. But uh, yeah, tell me what you saw. Yeah, uh, I mean, as far as the 31's concerned, you hit the nail on the head. It just uh, just seemed like a weird night for him. Just seemed like some simple mistakes, some little little things, and, and he wasn't able to to execute like he needed to, right? I, and I think anytime you see those guys, especially in the the regional 250 class, when you're sharing the points lead with somebody, you got to make the most of that opportunity. I mean, at the moment, he's only, I believe, four points down now. Uh, Levi's got 106 points. He's got 102. And then RJ hanging back there at 101. But, man, I, I mean, if the roles were reversed, right, it, and you find yourself four points up, man, you're telling yourself how big four points is. And, man, that's a good gap. And right now he's sitting there trying to convince himself, hey, you know, four points isn't terrible. We can, we can make that up, which he can, but nonetheless – you just need to put yourself in those better positions. So definitely not writing off Smitty. Uh, he's got a lot of speed. Hopefully as we start to move over east more, that's going to be a little more comfortable with where he's growing up at, uh, where he's been riding at. So hopefully, um, I don't know. I put it like this. I love Smitty. I want him to pull this thing through. I'll, I'll be open about it. I would love to see Jordan Smith get the championship wrapped up. But man, it has blown my mind. One of my biggest shocks in the 250 class this year is is Levi Kitchen and just the absolute turnaround of the way he's been riding. And, man, whatever you want to say about the rest of the pack, there is no doubt Levi Kitchen has earned that red plate and he looks mighty comfortable at the front of the field. I'm just looking at the schedule. Is there only two showdowns? I believe so. How can like I thought can there we was not a get talk three of, of those so that either at least both classes have the both nine races? Like that seems silly to me. This last weekend should have been a an East West uh, showdown. I know we're not allowed to say shootout, but uh like if he was if it was three showdowns, you'd have both classes getting nine rounds. East and West. Yeah, I'm just looking at it now. Uh Nashville is the East West um that is a missed opportunity. Um, because yeah, it makes, it makes no sense. Uh, I was just making sure that we're not going to see these guys for six weeks now, which means, uh, yeah, weekend off. And then Jordan Smith has another five weeks 
to uh, stew about that that four points. And uh, not to say that like this is like reason for panic or anything like that, but um, yeah, now uh, Levi Kitchen is in the driver's seat. He's got uh, he's got. Like honestly, he's only got two laps led on the entire season because we don't count points during the uh, the um, triple crowns because those don't count towards anything. We can't keep those stats apparently. Um, so he's only got two laps led, and he's currently leading the points. He's got he's won run, one race, um, but he's been most consistent. I don't think he's been off the podium uh, for more than a round, which is really really impressive. Like making a, we always talk about. Oh, it's taking forever to sort of like adjust to the new motorcycle. Levi Kitchen has gotten on that Kawasaki and just business as usual. He's he's riding his best right now. He's this is the best but, version of Levi Kitchen we've ever seen. Yeah, I was about to say it's not even business as usual. He's he's changed into a high dollar suit and has you know moved up a couple floors in business, baby. Because I yeah, mean, I don't know. Yeah, I was about to say. I mean, the only time I can even feel like I saw a Levi kitchen like this was when he kind of popped onto the amateur scene those last couple of years at Loretta's and was just handling business. I mean, there was people in the middle of the week going, who is this guy? I mean, uh, and that's, we knew he had that. Right. And so he came in, he's on that star team. And I think one of the things that while star has a lot of benefits to going to a team like that, man, when you've got a, a full team of all-stars, right. All of a sudden being an all-star is not that special. And I think it, in a way, sometimes these guys, because everybody on that team is an elite rider and they're supposed to be the guy, it's almost like like you're revved out the entire time. And we've even heard guys like Jeremy Martin; he gets caught up in the practice hype, right? When you're when you're going out and they're doing the motos, and sometimes that doesn't work. Isn't now he got rider. hurt? Isn't he popped his yeah, shoulder? Yeah, I was about out, to say. Like I'm pretty sure he said he was trying to trying to keep up with Danger Boy. Yeah, out on the practice track, and and he wound up getting hurt because of it. And so it's it's something where, man, maybe that wasn't uh, maybe wasn't the proper ingredients to have in the kitchen. You know what I'm saying? Ha ha ha! Thank you, thank you, thank you. But uh, no, without a doubt, you're fired. Yeah, I was about to say. All right, I'm going to show myself out. But uh, I completely agree. It's about time that we see somebody get on a new bike, say they feel good on it, and actually show that. All of a sudden, show this drastic improvement in riding style and confidence and makes the most of it. So not only is it a great showing for Levi Kitchen, but the entire PC team as well, um, I think it's a good showing for them as well. They've clearly over the last year or two, been finding some things in the motorcycle, getting some power out of it. And now it's whatever they've got working seems to be the perfect package for, for Levi kitchen. No, certainly. And it's, uh, it, we're almost, we get spoiled by this 450 class when you've got so much talent that there's literally, there, there are superstars who fly, fly into the radar on a weekly basis. Like, the broadcast is only so long. They can only talk about so many different things. Uh, Aaron Plessinger, 10th on the night, a, like just an odd night for him. Uh, same thing with like J- Justin Cooper. He's now spending his second full, his first full year on a 450, uh, 11th place for him. He's sort of like kind of still trying to figure some things out. But the reality is like, the, he, like Justin Cooper might have still had an amazing ride, rode extremely well. But unfortunately, someone's got to get 11th when you're, you have this much talent in the field. It's impressive to see, like, just how these guys stack up week after week after week. Um, and, uh, I was probably most impressed with this is one of this, this ride was maybe my most impressed that I've been with Jet Lawrence on a 450 in Supercross. Starts out ninth, 
in an extremely stacked field, methodically makes his way through, showed a lot of maturity, not having to like just like blitz his way to the front. He this was a, t- a, a tough track to pass on. He made his way through, takes his takes his third step on the podium, and uh, yeah, he's got a little bit of a points lead now. Yeah, and I think you pointed out the perfect things about the way Jet did it was he was calculated and he was calm, right? He was patient. He didn't yeah. rush it. Yeah, he's a veteran ride. Exactly, exactly. He wasn't going, and, and so many times we see this in the 250 and the 450 class where a rider goes down that whether they're running on good momentum or whether they feel like they're supposed to be the guy coming into this race, and it's like – they throw all common sense out the window. In a lot of ways, almost like it's funny. It's how James Stewart used to talk about it when he would crash at the beginning of the race. I don't think about anything. I don't care about anything. Turn the throttle till we see the checkered flag, right? And, and, and I mean, when he was screaming that KX125, he was able to make it do it. But nowadays, a factory 450, I think those motorcycles have, have deserved a little more respect now. And you can't quite be that crazy anymore all of a sudden the bike's almost got a little more oats under the hood than it needs and you got to learn to to control that and so for jet he didn't let a bad start get the best of him he didn't panic right off the bat and he was careful he planned his passes out he made really smooth calculated passes didn't make any enemies along the way and was able to work his way up throughout the pack um, for somebody like aaron plessinger heartbreak had the good start a simple mistake i mean we've said it like that all of a sudden your race is gone and man it, we've just seen it is so hard to get the momentum rolling once again he got kind of caught up in that corner the bike was up above him he lost a lot of positions and so tough for ap because um he really just had a, had a bunch of momentum going right we've seen him have some good rides here and there but to be able to string multiple together is almost a new ap or a, an old ap if you will back to the 250 days so hey let's let's uh pull travis kelsey taylor swift shake it off right forget it, move on, come out in the next race, good old cowboy. Uh, he ain't out of this thing yet, dang it. I, I, ain't, I ain't giving up on him. But, uh, no, absolutely. It was a, an uncharacteristic race, a, an unfortunate finish for him. But for Jet, I think that's going to be an underappreciated ride for him. And I think people are going to go back and they're going to look at that and say, man, there's a lot of poise right there, right? There's a lot of, like you said, that's a veteran ride very early. From, from Jet Lawrence. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's a problem so. for everybody else. Uh, although I'll say this about the 450 class, and even for a guy like Eli Tomac, who seems to be reeling, I don't think this break could come at a better time for a guy like him or uh, or Sexton, who clearly needs it with a hand contusion. They made a lot of that about that. He, he, it was an issue that he had during practice uh, earlier this week, uh, a bone bruise of some sort. Uh, hanging on late in these races uh, is, is certainly something that would be very difficult. 17 points is all that separates the top seven. That is not unsurmountable whatsoever. In fact, I believe Eli Tomac has been further back than this and either grabbed a piece of the points lead or come very, very close to it in those like 2007, uh, 17, 2018 years when he was chasing down uh, one Ryan Dungey. And uh, yeah, so I, I think we are in for an absolute barn burner of a remaining 11 rounds of, of Supercross. We can, and like this, this is also a year long championship. As much as this is 17 rounds of Supercross, we're going, this is going all the way to, back to the playoffs here. Uh, so there's lots of racing to be had. Um, and yeah, a lot of meat on the bone left for a guy like Eli Tomac, who uh, I think he's going to get back. He's going to sort them some things out. He's going to go back to Cortez 
go back into the the bomb shelter, maybe have a little bit of yelling session in the garage or something like that, and then come out swinging. He hasn't been the beast uh, from Colorado lately. We haven't really seen him uncork it yet. But, uh, hey, maybe we see something else come out uh, after the break. What do you think? Yeah, I think you you made a great point in the sense of, man, these guys aren't out of it yet, right? I mean, the entire top seven, they've got to be saying that. All of these guys have their inner, their family, their inner circle, their their man friend, their posse, whatever you want to call it. And, if and they've I'm, all won some sort of race. Exactly. Like Anderson and all, has a triple crown win. Uh, Cooper Webb won that triple crown, so he gets the credit for that. Chase Sexton won the super muddy race. Aaron Plessinger gets his first ever win. Lawrence has two wins, like... They've all done it. You know what I mean? And they've so, got, they've got something to sink their hooks into, right? They're, they right. got something to hang on to in the sense of, Hey, I can do this. And so it's, yeah, why not you? Right. That's what they've all got to be asking. And so, um, take the break, heal up. Like we said, uh, it looks like Sexton's hand definitely looked like it was affecting him. I, I haven't seen uh, a lot of the post race interviews with him specifically, but. I think even if he says it wasn't, there was definitely not quite a full Sexton out there, which, you know, is, is fine. I appreciate that they came out and said he was injured. Um, so great opportunity for him. Hey, take care of that thing, man. Get it feeling as right as you can and come out swinging at the next round because that's what each one of these guys is going to be doing. Whether you're Eli going back to Colorado, resetting, whether that's bodies hurting, whether that's mind struggling, whatever it is, bike issues, whatever. Go back to the drawing board there. If you're the number one, the reigning champ, get that hand figured out, get back out there. If you're the number two, get fired back up, man. You're not out of this thing yet. So all of these guys, they've got their own programs, their own plans, but best believe at the next round, they all are going to line up thinking it's their race to win. 100%. So uh, before, uh, there's a few guys that maybe need to like let out some frustration. Uh, And this is part of the podcast that I get to do the exact same. This is the vented plate. Let it out vent session. Uh, something that's been getting on my nerves or something that's, uh, like, like, let me just, just gonna need to like get something off my chest here. Bikes have not looked different consistently over time for way too long. You look at like year to year to year, the pro circuit Kawasaki's in the nineties, like you can see a distinct difference from 99 to the 2000 bike to the 2001 to the 2002 bike, like whether it was simple green and then like, uh, everyone found out that split fire was actually like charged for uh, false advertising and basically uh, bankrupted their company. So as much as that's an awesome, cool, uh, cool looking uh, bike from back in the day, that, that company no longer exists. Um, but what I'm trying to say is like the bikes changed year to year. Like the, sometimes it'd be more green. Sometimes it'd be more black or, and the KTMs would change quite a bit as well. As soon as the, the, I think obviously the, the title sponsors with the energy drinks comes in, and they want consistency. They want a like a front-facing brand image that's like sort of evergreen year over year. Um, but I am so tired of seeing Red Bull KTM's. Every year they look pretty much the exact same. There is like maybe some, like like oh we did a little bit different on the no they're they're always the same. Uh, same thing with the Star Racing Yamahas year to year to year. Uh, aside from. Who's on what bike? Which the whatever whatever numbers they're running. That's pretty much you have to be a pretty keen eye to be able to pick that out. Um, I would love to see more variation because um, yeah, like you look at some pictures of like 2014 uh, Brian Dungey, and aside from some pretty ugly plastics from back then, you can't tell the difference. Yeah, I think it's it's gotten to a point, and, and especially with Red Bull, and, and I mean. 
And the Monster Cowies. Like, they don't Well, yeah, but, I mean, I will say I felt like the Monster, at least, they've run some different designs. I'm more thinking, like, the Stars, where they were really blue for a while. And then then they went, like, super black for a while, which I'm not a huge fan of. They still run the black front fender, do they not? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the black plastics. And so that's just a personal preference. But at least they've got a little bit of change going on. But as far as the Red Bull stuff goes, and, and I know... Speaking from personal experience, Red Bull, they take their brand and their image extremely seriously, right? Uh, I mean, as they should, multi-billion dollar company, um, and and they're certainly funneling enough money into the sport and into um, action sports in general to where if they say they want it a certain way, fair be it. But you make a perfect point. I mean, you, you jump on to whether it's 2012, 2013, Ryan Dungey's Red Bull KTM, and you line it up to Aaron Plessinger's, you know, minute detail changes i mean you know if they are changes i think it's more to suit the plastic design and and the way the bikes uh pieces fit together now as compared to the old model but all in all it's it's almost identical yeah no they really haven't done a lot of changes uh honestly the biggest probably like the only year thing you can really tell the difference is the the gear wear that uh like they've been thor forever um and even then, they like not to say that they have to change gear, but like, um, like Fox, Fox has been with Pro Circuit since I believe that was 2015. I want to say right around there, yeah, yeah. And then like, AC's prior to that, first they year Thor was Thor forever. Yeah. They didn't change that very much. Um, and so yes, and like uh, Star Racing used to change all the time. They were they were MSR for a bit, and then they switched to Answer for one amazing season, uh, and then they went back to uh, they've been they've been with uh, Thor for a really long time. I don't know. I just want to see some variation. That's all I'm, I'm ranting about. And I, I realize that might not be the uh, most uh, like something to gripe about, but uh, it's something that's been been getting at me for a little while here. Uh, I'd like to see some some changes. And did you know that you can save? 25, 24% on Backyard Designs with uh, discount code BIGMX24 at checkout? No, I did not, but I do know I just put a hole in my previous graphics, so it's time for some freshies, so I will be hitting them up. Uh, they've got some, Yeah, they got some good stuff going on. All right, uh, kind, of, kind of going – actually, no, it's not even close to related to yours, but – No. So – I'm an announcer, right? I, I'm I'm around podiums and, and I'm around. Yeah, I do like to talk a lot, whether it's live in person or on the interweb. Um, but for me, it is whether you are. I, I put it like this: especially if you are a professional athlete, there has got to be some kind of effort in your interviews. And and, and personally, for me, I love hearing about the race and stuff like that. But man, it is just. Man, I like think I don't want to call any team out because they all do it. But I mean, whether it's Monster Energy Pro Circuit, Kawasaki, Thor, Parts Unlimited, blah, 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 blah. and if you don't pay close attention, you have no idea who they just said, what they just said does whatsoever. Hundred percent. What? What do you mean? Like what? And so it's. I mean, I go back and and talking about watching some old races. I will give. Can't think. Well, yeah, yeah, well, and yeah, don't get on the rest I forgot. That's more especially at like Loretta Lynn's and some of the amateur races that I do. And I know not only does that get on my nerves, but um, whether you're somebody like Bill Savino with American Honda, whether you're so – put it like this. Any industry person that is a representative that works with the rider specifically, they're paying attention to it. And, and I mean that's a that's a public service announcement for the parents and the, the Grom report, whatever – Practice your interviews like you practice racing 
and you would be amazed not only how much better you sound and how much more confident you sound when you get on the podium, but how much more people are interested in you. Because let's yeah. go back to the to the number. Well, let's go back to the number nine. Perfect example. He is probably the best spoken professional rider as far as giving props to his sponsors and, and making people excited about the people that help him since Travis Pastrana. I mean, you listen to some of the old TP interviews and man, he is man. And, and my Dunlop tires were hooking up or my Michelin's were doing this. And man, that a Cherubis plastic was just looking fantastic this weekend. And this showy helmet feels so good. And it's like, man, you know, not only what brands he works with, but what they do and why Travis likes them. And, yeah. and man, a lot of that is just Travis being Travis. But at the end of the day, if you're putting time and money into, you know, laser fitting a great so that you have the exact same kind of great that you have on the supercross call these guys in and say all right boys we're going to work on some podium interviews you're going to go run motos just like you normally do and then the second that you get off i'm going to stick a microphone in your face and we're going to record it and you're going to practice sounding competent right not only saying the right names but making it sound like you actually care that people are helping you out and so that, that's my, my, my rant, my vented out, whatever is, it's just like, man, these people will go out of their way. They're paying you money. And, and even, especially if you're an amateur rider right now, you want to find a way to, to put yourself ahead and to help your brands out. Learn how to talk about the people that are helping you. Learn how to talk to those companies with respect and, and face to face, but then learn how to publicly make them sound fantastic. Don't sound like a robot. Don't just list through your sponsors and then do a big <gasps> at the end because you were just trying to get them all out in one breath. Actually take the time and care because it's going to pay off in the long run. So that, that's my rant. That's, that's all I got to say about it. It's, it's definitely frustrating when you see and you talk to some of these riders that do have really big companies helping them out and they have opportunities that you know a younger amateur rider like myself would have loved would have given anything to have and those guys just brush over them like they're barely doing anything for them and so give the people that help you out the proper due make sure you shout mom and dad out and uh yeah that's all i got there you go yeah no uh the everyone else i forgot always kind of like makes me chuckle um mm -hmm. and like yeah, give some context to each one of your your sponsors. They'll go a whole lot further than uh, just naming off like uh, just some random companies, like you said. And honestly, I think it's important for a lot of uh, moto parents to explain like what these companies are and how they are helping. Like I'm sure there's some kids that they say a hundred percent because they don't even realize like a hundred percent is the goggle company that is is making sure that you got fresh tear offs every weekend there, but. Well, and, and I mean, whether it's, it's Bill's lawn care, I, I mean, because I'll mm -hmm. be the first, you know, I, I had, I had several companies that weren't in the industry that were, you know, whether they're giving me a couple hundred bucks for gas to get to the races or yeah. whatever, man, those guys, especially they're watching in, in a simple man, a huge thank you to, to Jerry's auto sale. That's, uh, you know, helping me get down and pay for gas or pay for class entries, whatever, man, you would be amazed how much that reciprocates and how much how far that goes with somebody like them because these yeah. people they don't have to be giving you money they don't have to be helping you and then quite honestly if i was somebody like red bull like monster like one of these factory amateur team spotters if you will and i'm somewhere like loretta's and you get yourself you know maybe you don't finish in the top three but you you finish 11th and you got the whole shot well guess what buddy you're talking to talking to me talking to uh, kevin kelly jason wygant whoever on the podium and you're sitting there 
giving your guys a big shout out, man, these guys helped me so much. We, you tell a story up there, you get people on your side, all of a sudden you got some of these big names coming to say, Hey man, how can we help you out next year? What can we do to, to help you get ahead? So right. it goes a lot further than I think people realize. And it's a, it's a seriously overlooked area when it comes to the, to the motocross community coming up as well. Certainly no. And, and if you think that Ryan holiday and guys like that, like, um, Daniel Blair aren't listening to these interviews and, and cause they're, they're always looking, they're always looking for that next kid, see how they handle themselves. Um, they're, they're, that's half their job is to prospect for the years to come. Uh, so they might not you, be supporting you, you now, but if you think they only care when you win too, yes, you're wrong. Cause I Absolutely. guarantee you they're paying closer attention to how you're acting when things go wrong than when everything goes right, because that's when you start to see what a rider's really like. 100%. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to this episode. I'm going to give a huge shout out to Sean Wedge, one of our uh, most loyal listeners. He, he shows up and watches Supercross at my place every once in a while. And he requests that the podcast be about an hour long because that's how long he spends on the treadmill. Uh, he's getting in shape for this coming riding season. I'm getting in shape for this coming riding season. Thanks to our friends over at First Form. Those guys are awesome. Uh, I'm enjoying their uh, their supplements. I know you probably need to get on that program as well. Uh, every once in a while when I try and want to do one of these podcasts, you're like, sorry, I'm at the gym right now. I'm just pumping iron. Uh, I lift things up and put them down. Yeah, put, put, put the dumbbell down and do a podcast with me. Uh, but uh, yeah, appreciate you, man. Uh, yeah, and like we're... Give me before I let you go on this. Is the is snowshoe this weekend or not snowshoe? Uh, big buck this weekend. Big buck. Yep. Round one. Prediction. Baby. I need a prediction. Oh, gonna put me on the spot. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I'm gonna go on a wild one. Okay, I, I just because I think it would be awesome to see. But I say we pick up right where we left off. Josh Strang got the last win of the year. He was the eighth winner of the 2023 season at Ironman last year, making a big crazy. jump over to the Sherco machine. All right. Got a whole new program coming into 2024. I'm curious to see whether or not uh, the number seven for this year is going to be coming in position number one. I'm going to go out of the limb. I'll say Josh Strang gets round one at Big Buck. But, man, it's so hard. To, it's so hard to guess. If you guys aren't already planning on it, make sure you're tuning into Racer TV. Uh, it should be about 2 o'clock. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday. And, uh, yeah, you get to see, get to see the green flag fly. Mikey Wayne's with the 10 second call and we'll be calling all the action from the racer TV truck. Wouldn't miss it, my friend. Thanks again for coming on the show. See you guys.